Hey, psychos. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. <laughs> what? Trademark. I'm your host, John F. O'Donnell. Uh, we have such a fun show lined up for you today. Real quick, uh, just some ways that you can follow and support the show. You can join the newsletter at jfodnews.com. That's a great way to find out about who the guests are going to be and also find out about where I'm going to be on the road. I have some road shows coming up. Uh, you can also follow me on social media at jfodlovesyou on both Instagram and TikTok. I am doing mental health-related content there, so please follow me there if you haven't already. And also, if you really want to support the show, you you can join the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash JFOD. That really helps us out. So uh, please do that. And um, you know what? Just spread the word about the podcast. If you're enjoying it, let other folks know about it. And uh, please uh, rate it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really helps the uh, helps us out, helps the algorithm show it to more people, which is great. So I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, let's enjoy this episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath. <laughs> I am here this week with Juliana Mayer. Hey, Juliana. Hey, John. How's it going? I'm doing well. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, let's you. just start off. How was your day? It was good. I was, work was good today. We had a we had a, a successful day, and then it was short because my boss had to go to her daughter's swim meet, for which she said she was the second worst on the team, but she knows that, so it's okay. Yeah. Wow, that's got to be bad for the... Uh, the worst worst on the team. I know. know. Well, I don't know how bad she She could actually be fine. Maybe everybody else is just really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but it can't be fun. It can't be fun. But that's funny to be like, yeah, you're the second worst on the team. I mean, it's something. It I, it's better than I would be. Yeah. I don't know. You might be good. At swimming. I mean, I'm a good swimmer. I'm not a fast swimmer. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm good in that, like, if I was, like, I could swim... I could very safely swim a pretty long distance, but I could not do it fast. Yeah, but you could swim enough to save your life in a pinch. Yeah, yeah. Although most of the time people don't drown because they can't swim. No, what's the... Usually, like the best thing, usually what you want to do in situations if you are like, usually it's because people are like taken by a current or whatever. So swimming is actually not the most important part. It's just knowing how to... Um, Drown proofing is what it's called, which swimming actually uses <laughs> such a random thing. No, I like swimming it. uses a ton of energy. It is important to know how to swim, but unless you're like within sight of like land, which usually if you're in an emergency situation, you're not. Um, the more important thing is to like expect as expend as little energy as possible. Humans naturally float. So you actually just it's a whole thing. People can I don't want to give bad advice. So people should YouTube it. But it is a thing. We had to learn to do it for some reason in my high school. In addition to swimming, I guess that's not a bad idea. Well, good. This to was know. a fun tangent to start. Yeah. No, I like it. Sometimes <laughs> that's what take your pill psychopath is. Yeah. We just go where we go. We'll eventually get to all of your mental illnesses. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, but um, it, drown proofing. If you're any parents listening to this, God, I hope so. Um, drown proofing is as important as teaching your kid how to swim. Good to know. Um, and hopefully that second to worst swimmer on the team knows how to, uh, drown proof. Yeah. You know, I'm sure she's fine. Um, 
Cool. So yeah. So your your day gig does it get stressful? You are a writing assistant on a mm-hmm. show. Writing assistant, yeah. Um, called the Diplomat. Yep, that's right. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's great. I'm really excited about this. Plugging that comes out. I think it's. I'm not sure if we've announced the date. It's coming out relatively soon. You should. Everyone should watch it. It's going to be on Netflix. That's exciting. Yeah, Carrie Russell's a star. That I know. I can say there's press releases. Nice. Um, she's fantastic. Everybody in it is fantastic. That's cool. Um, does it get stressful doing this job? It does. Um, I would say this show um, is so far. I mean, it's, I've only been on this show for about two months, but I find it to be really, really exceptionally well managed. Um, and I'm not just saying that in, in case my boss is listening. That's really like, um, I think partially because the showrunner, the person who had to leave early for her daughter's for me, um, is a mom or just a parent. Her kids aren't young, they're teenagers, but I have found in general that like when the showrunner, who's like the top, that's for if you, people in television showrunners, like the CEO of the show, when the showrunner has kids who still live at home, you have a infinitely better chance of leaving work before eight than not. And nice. I found that to be true of male showrunners too. Like just it's, and um, it creates a super different dynamic. Because um, they kind of gotta sort of take care of their kids, and yeah, yeah, and even if and even if they have another parent at home, or even if they have like a full time nanny, it's just like they're just conscious of time passing because they have people who they are aware of. You know what I mean? As yeah. opposed to if you oh, some showrunners who don't have kids, it's it unless their spouse is like waiting for them. It's they're just like their whole life is kind of the show while they're in the midst, like while they're in the, the center of it. So it, I think it honestly is like. They just lose track of people. The idea that people have other things to do, but people who have kids who are living at home are kind of always aware that people have a life outside of work. Yeah, which translates into you being able to have a life outside of work. Exactly. Yeah. So this this one is, but I mean, it can it can be stressful. Uh, I find work to be not occasionally stressful, but I find work to be not usually a major stressor i'm definitely more stressed when i'm not working looking for work can be very stressful yeah <laughs> yeah i i tend to agree speaking of i don't think i told you this yet so oh psychos i don't think i've told you guys yet that i i've been doing this weird uh freelance sort of copywriting writing job you haven't told them about this i haven't told the psychos about this i'm obsessed with this but well listen i uh okay you guys i got a job <laughs> writing um, marketing and promotional material for a jewelry company, but it's as sketchy as it sounds. Yeah, it's sketchier uh, by the moment. That, but you got to write stories about angels to make the jewelry sound magical, as you do, to get people to buy it through email blasts, as you do. Yeah, and I've been there for about a couple of months, and uh. I just got fired. You just got fired? <laughs> yeah, I got let go. My numbers, you... my numbers weren't coming back. Oh, good. I thought you I just think, weren't realistic enough. I think I think it was a combination of things. Like, psychos, <laughs> the storylines that I were coming up with for these, like, special angel jewelry pieces I were get... so ridiculous. Great. They were, gr- I mean. But they were very creative. Like, for example, one, and I have a bit about it now. They were, like, an abused child's creative writing assignments. Yeah. What do you mean? Like. Like emotionally <laughs> abused, not, you know, yeah. well, they were just, you talk more about it and people, I think 
psychos who are listening, I think you'll, you'll agree. Okay, well, I'll do a version. Okay, I'll do a version of the bit. I basically say, now, I, uh, I have a new writing job that I feel guilty about because it's morally bankrupt. And I'll give you guys three guesses, and I want you to tell me which job it is you think that I have. One, I write for the weapons industry. Two, I write for Big Pharma. Or three, I write for a company that makes up stories about angels to get old ladies to buy cheap jewelry at a ridiculous markup by convincing them that the jewelry is, in fact, magical, which sounds bad, but at least the storylines can be creative. (laughs) For example, here's one. Did you know... Little known fact that similar to humans, angels during the holiday seasons also get each other gifts, and they even get a gift for God that they work on all year long, but get really insecure about giving to him, because after all, what do you get for the guy who created everything? Am I right? So it's super important that God loves his gifts, so he'll rain his blessings down upon the heavens and the earth. Plus, Plus, remember what happened to Cain and Abel with the gifts? Exactly. Plus, it's crucial. guy. Yeah. Plus, it's crucial... So it's crucial that these old ladies purchase the gift to God pendant for four easy payments of twenty four <laughs> ninety five and pray with it in order to make sure that God loves his gift. So which one of those three jobs do you think I have? <laughs> so, yeah, so that was one of my storylines I came up with, that the angels give each other gifts during the holiday season. Another one was this little horseshoe pendant horseshoe that I had to try to favorite. sell. And so I was like, okay, how do I connect the, the world of horseshoes to the world of angels? So I had to come up with the idea that there, first of all, if you look online, there's a ninefold hierarchy of angels, the highest being the seraphim, the lowest being the guardian angels and everything in between. The lowest being the guardian <laughs> angels is so like the it's like the ones who have to deal it's like they're the nannies. They're the help angels. They are it's the like, help. angels. They have to deal with the humans. <laughs> they do. They're the lowest. And the archangels are the second, the second to lowest, just like that swimmer. Really? Just they're like the your, second to like Why are they called the arch? I thought that was like because they're high up. I, I, spoiler, I've never been to church ever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, let me see if I can name all of the, the nine hierarchies. Let me see if yeah. I remember them. I know you got the seraphim. Top. Top. The cherubim. Interesting. Then you, then you got. Those the, are the babies. The cherubs, right? Well. Apparently in like certain modern lore, not modern lore, I don't know, but <laughs> sometimes they're seen as the babies, but they're not always babies. They have four heads. What? Okay. Yeah. So we got the seraphim, the cherubim, the thrones, the virtues. I'm going to forget some. The principalities. The principalities. One of them is just a name for a nation state. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they actually do have. Are the do, Democrats below the principalities? Probably. And then they do, the principalities do have to do with like, um, they do, they are involved somehow in politics. Or oh, they actually are. I was making a bad joke. Yeah, that's cl- it's oh, that's weird. kind of interesting. And then I'm going to forget one of them, but then you got the, uh, uh, I forget. There's a something, few others. And it's something and then Archangels, and then you said, Lois yeah, and is then the Lois is the Guardian. You got to almost all of them. I think you're only missing two. Yeah. So this horse, so basically I was like, okay, there's nine hierarchies of angels. There's a ninefold hierarchy of angels. Let's pretend each angel order, each order of angels has their favorite horse breed that they champion. (laughs) And if somebody learns about which horse breed corresponds to which angel order and then purchases the horseshoe and prays with it, they will help protect all animals. And in response... Get great fortune and prosperity. Such a good, such a good call to just blanket 
help protect all animals. Yeah, it was a really quid pro quo thing. But I don't know. I guess because I'm I'm ghostwriting as Diana, the angel medium and spiritual advisor. You psychos. Which, so yeah, which I think is Princess Diana. Which you think is Princess Diana? I think it, I think that's why they chose the name. I think that they wanted to make that connection, but they're not allowed to say it. I don't know because they show a picture of Diana. Oh, okay. And she's like an old lady who lives in Florida. Maybe she's Princess Diana if she had lived. Who's getting? Yeah, maybe. Who's getting sweet residuals or getting sweet oh, royalties? Then Harry on her. could live in the same country as his mom. Wouldn't that be nice? That'd be so nice. Yeah. So anyway, you guys, I had that job and I got canned. I got let go from the angel writing job. Because your numbers weren't good enough? I don't know exactly why. It's a economy. I don't know exactly why, but I can't imagine the storylines that I was doing. I can't imagine anybody buying this stuff I, from it. I can't believe that you had them fire you and you did not ask all of the questions. I I would have left no stone unturned. Well, full disclosure, I did get in trouble a couple times along the way. Like there were oh. there were some red flags. Like um so you you caused some red flags at the store where you write magic stories about angels to sell things sold women. Yes. You were you were the red flag there. Yes, I was. Okay. So, okay. Full disclosure, I kept sort of like doing iterations of the same template. So I would kind of like, I would come up with new storylines, but I would use the same outline each time. So I was kind of doing a version of copy and pasting and I kind of got caught for that. And then I changed it up. I really did change it up and I thought everything was good. But then I got in trouble again. They were saying I was doing it still too similar. Mm. So I think maybe that, that eventually caught up with me and I got fired. Interesting. But nothing I'll tell but, you what. Nothing but honesty and integrity from them. Yeah, I guess so. They have a high standard. Yeah, they must have some sort of high standard of of, of scam adjacent email <laughs> blasting to old ladies to yeah. sell angel jewelry. But I will tell you, I do need to find something for sure. Uh, and I was happy in that respect to have it. But totally. I was not feeling good about doing it. Totally. I get it. You know? So when I lost it, I was like bummed, but also kind of relieved at the same time. But yeah, psychos, it is uh it is a challenging road uh being a comedian. You got to do all sorts of weird shit. Yeah. Um so we'll I'll let you guys know what my next weird one is. But but there is a silver lining. I got a super sweet new bit out of it that I just was telling you guys part of and it has been working. So that's been cool. That's been good. Yeah. Good. All right, let's get into it, Juliana. All right. Um okay. Let's talk about some of your diagnoses. What uh, what do you got for us? What do you got for right. the psychos? So I have I have OCD and ADHD. I know that ADHD is probably the less interesting one, but I like that one better, so I, I talk about it more. Um, but uh, I should okay. I should I can't remember if I've told you this in real life, but disclaimer. So I wasn't diagnosed with either until I was like fifteen, which is uh, for ADHD is very is pretty old although not super uncommon in, in girls rather than boys. Um, and for OCD, it can, can be that age. It's a, it can be a little old. Um, but I was diagnosed. I do Now, I do think I have OCD. I think that that's the most likely option. I will say, however, I was 15. I was very precocious, kind of bratty, very bratty, uh, very uh, smart-alecky kid. So I actually got a psychiatry textbook and read about it and decided what I thought I had and then I went to a psychiatrist and told them that 
described the things that were for which were not untrue like they did overlap with really my symptoms but i was just like it's gonna take these people forever like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm really unhappy right now like i need meds now i've done the work just i'm just gonna hit the bullet points so i'm still pretty confident that i have ocd but it was not a um it was not an unbiased uh diagnosis I so guess. you diagnosed yourself you did tell me this you diagnosed yourself first you made the case for it and presented that to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and then got the diagnosis yeah. that you essentially wanted yeah exactly that is quite precocious yeah um not good i not what you want like no, i think i think it worked out okay but no one listening do that it's better to um to not, not manipulate. <laughs> yeah, it's better if you can can the avoid psychiatrist. That. Better if you can avoid that. Yeah. It was also I think it was easier for me because I I'd, I'd been to a bunch of therapists, so I was very familiar with therapy talk. Um, more I was been to therapists like as a kid, more for not so much related directly to me, but more like for I'd been to family therapy and I'd been to like events like I sometimes you like we did therapy after my parents got divorced as just kind of a like this is a big life change kind of thing. I had another thing that was counseling like for a similar, when my mom moved to another state, like that weren't necessarily, they weren't not about me, but you know, they're, they're the kind of thing where people were just like, this is happening to a kid. We're going to put you in therapy. So I had a lot of experience just like with therapists by the time I was 15. Um, so you know how to game the system. I was very, I was very literate in their kind of language and, and what they, that's so how funny. they operated. I knew, I knew like, I knew what play therapy was. I knew kind of the I knew that I was very familiar with the rules of what they can and can't tell parents all that kind of stuff um and you just sort so of it's, it's, it made it massaged it a little bit yeah I just was like all right I, th- I think this is really where we're gonna get to but I, I want to get here faster yeah yeah so how was your OCD okay so you self-diagnosed OCD and then got the official diagnosis from a psychiatrist that you may have mildly manipulated mm-hmm. um how was your how was your OCD manifesting? So I have for me, it's not like physical stuff. I don't have it hand washing or anything like that. It's more I have. Um, oh, there's a very there's a word for this. Um, it's not just repetitive thoughts, but um, intrusive thoughts. Not, I, I do occasionally, but not so much intrusive thoughts. Um, it's, it's like circular thoughts. I can't remember the exact. It'll, it'll come to me. Um, but. So it tended to be around, like, my experiences tend to be around people. I used to try to have a bit about this, but it never totally worked. I'm going to bring it back at some point. But basically, like, one of the big things that I really struggled with and that it's much, much easier for me now is uh, it would give me very intense anxiety when people that I liked or was friends with would, like, leave a room. So, like, basically, like, didn't have object permanence when it came to people. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously it did, but, like... And an irrational sense of when I did, re- and it would make me like extend goodbyes to an incredibly annoying degree. It, it definitely, uh, and it's, it's also hard to parse because, of course, some things teenagers are just weird and have, of course, teenage relationships and friendships are very weird things. Yeah. I went to boarding school, so not super surprising that I would have like some attachment issues that could have been separate, but um, that was that was definitely um, a big thing of just needing to, of, I had really a lot of trouble not controlling where everyone I knew was and um and otherwise um when I was younger it was I think 
it's interesting because I've been now on medication and medication works pretty well for me for what is 15 so so like for, uh, more than almost 15 years 14 13 14 years um so it's it's almost it's a little hard for me to like place like exactly what was happening at that time oh I definitely I have always had like a lot of stuff around eating just like that's which is more kind of classic OCD like difficulty or not wanting to eat as a kid I was very very like would not eat at any other time than 6 p.m. I went through a, like a while like a year I think more than a year maybe in elementary school where I would not eat anything until 4 30 in the afternoon yeah. um yeah like very um I definitely like I think that it's often true but you know there's there's very common parenting advice about a lot of things that's just like you know, if your kid gets hungry enough, don't don't make them a special meal. Like, don't cave to that preference. Like, if your kid gets hungry enough, they'll eat. And I'm like, most kids, sure, but there are there are special kids. <laughs> um, there are kids like me where I was just like, nope, not till four thirty. Yeah, not till four thirty. Um, yeah, I would also have this is. Um, I actually for a little while. I wondered if I had bipolar disorder when I was in that, um, when I was in that research, the research and development phase of, yes. of my of diagnosing myself. The self-diagnosing phase. Because I had, but really, what that was was um, more. I I thought that I might have. I didn't really understand what mania was, so once I understood it better, I was like, yeah, I've never really had that. Yeah. Um, what I do have, are, less as an adult and less since I've been on medication, but with for with ADHD, I have experienced like hyper focus. Like one time when I was thirteen, I um, I wrote a very bad novel in four days, um, oh, and wow. I was sleeping and eating. Like I wasn't. It, it none of the other than that ma- being massively productive. There are no. There were no other remotely signs of like mania at that time like I was sleeping normally I was eating normally I was doing other things I was talking to people I was with friends I was going to school like it I was interested that was one of the things that I was like would this be a manic episode and they were like no, no that's really weird but that's not what that is yeah 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 um but I did originally that was a thing that um that I wondered if it was but it was really more for OCD it can look a lot like depression but just really inconsistent or kind of not sporadic, but really inconsistent depression. And that is what they've originally, the very first psychiatrist who was terrible psychiatrist. Oh my God. Just. Yeah. There can be bad psychiatrists just like anything else. She was just like every teenager has depression. (laughs) Done. I was like, okay. And, uh, Dr. Berger, she is just like Dr. Berger. Oh no. I know she was the, like the psychiatrist. My school had kids not like she didn't work for the school, but she was like the, their, main person yeah um and i think i saw her for like six weeks and i was like you are bad at this (laughs) yeah it's it there can be some bad doctors out there it sucks yeah i feel very lucky to have a good psychiatrist currently but it hasn't always been the case yeah and she wasn't i would say she wasn't like the most harmful kind of bad there are some therapists who are bad or psychiatrists who are bad who like real end up inflicting real harm on people yeah. i would say she was more just um more a person who was just not at all interested in her job so you know that can still um indirectly cause harm but she wasn't like one of those psychiatrists who's 
like playing mind games with teenagers there yeah. obviously that she wasn't yeah. on that level or anything yeah. she was just incompetent she wasn't malevolent <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um so would you say okay so are you on medication for ocd or for adhd or for both for both okay yeah so for uh ocd i have take prozac and i take um 80 milligrams a day which is a very high amount it's actually how one of the ways that uh one of the more objective ways without my um bias that they were kind of confirmed that i had ocd because that level of of uh antidepressant is not necessary and you would not use be prescribed to someone with depression it, it is not how it works but for ocd often you get antidepressants, but at much higher levels than you would be prescribing for depression. It, it works in a different way. Um, and then I take uh, Ritalin for ADHD. And I will not sell it to any comics if any. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, so Prozac and Ritalin. Yeah, don't message me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's hilarious. Uh, so you take a very high dosage of Prozac. Mm-hmm. That is a therapeutic for OCD, like you were just saying, it would not be for, it would not be given in that dosage as an antidepressant. That's, that's my understanding. It's been a while since I, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I know that that's a very, very high dose, especially for people can't see me, but I'm a very small person. I'm five foot one. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's a very high dose for, it was, it's not a dose you would be on just for depression. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and you've been on Ritalin for a while? Mm-hmm. Same amount of time. About the same amount of time. And that or works. actually, you know what? I was on Adderall first, and then there's you know there's an Adderall shortage right now. Um, yeah, there is. Yeah, but uh, so there was, an, there was a regional Adderall shortage when I was like 18, which sucked. Um, I feel really bad for anybody who's on Adderall right now because like, especially because so many people who are taking it are children, and it's really bad to just like especially a child or a teenager to just like have them not have access to that medicine even if you think that nobody should be on Ritalin or Adderall like it is objectively very bad for the body to just go off of a drug like that yeah um and at the time my doctor was like uh, the shortage seemed prolonged and my doctor decided to just um see like was like let's try Ritalin for some I'm very lucky it was seamless for me it was not a problem I have other friends with OCD who like even though the chemical, I do, do not understand this at all, but even though the chemical makeup is really similar, I believe, um, between like Ritalin and Adderall, I have friends who it w- has had completely different, like cannot, can't absolutely, it's not a thing they can just kind of, a one for one they can exchange. I was exceptionally lucky. And I ended up just staying on Ritalin because it worked equally well for me. Um, oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. So some people cannot swap it out. Yeah, that's that's why the shortage is such a problem. Because, because, uh, for people, if you can switch, like, you can just switch. And then there's not, you know, there's an Adderall shortage right now. There's not a Ritalin shortage. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of people, they spend, just like with just like with antidepressants, you know, like, for some people, they'll try Prozac, and Prozac doesn't work. But then, you know, Razapam does. Like, yeah, it's, it's a lot like that. Often you try a bunch of different medications when you first get diagnosed before you find one that is effective, most effective for you. Yeah, everybody's got different brain chemistries going on. Exactly. I've never, I w- I've never tried or done Adderall. Like my, my brain chemistry, like no psychiatrist would ever. I don't think you need it. I would not. I'd not. Would <laughs> ever prescribe me Adderall? Um, and a lot of people use it socially. Um, yeah, I know people do, which I, I find interesting. 
I've also been told by psychiatrists, and I have read this as well, and I, I'm inclined to think that it's true, um, that one of the ways that you can tell, not that this is the way that you would test, but one of the one of the ways you can tell whether someone actually has ADHD is how they or ADD is how they respond to Ritalin, because or Adderall, because people who do not often will respond like people who would use it to go to parties or especially people who use it like to clean their apartment or to, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. They have a their energy level goes way up and they're they're they get very high off of it, and some people who have ADHD do of course and can get high off of it. But like for me, instance for me, I can sleep on Ritalin. Like if I accidentally, I don't intentionally, but like if I accidentally take a dose of Ritalin right before I go to bed, like I, you know, mix it, did it accidentally, I can then go to sleep. People who do not have ADHD cannot. That's that would be very unusual. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so it is. That's how it interacts with your brain chemistry. Yeah, and not every some people who do have ADHD cannot sleep on it. It's not that's not a universal thing, but um, it's often a sign if you take. If you take a um, Ritalin or Adderall and it makes you actually calmer, um, then that is, it's much more likely that you have ADHD versus most people who do not, it will make them hyper, it will make, you know, like, it's a form of math, basically, which it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. That does make sense. And I didn't know that about, uh, about Ritalin and Adderall. But I guess the small part of me is like, Hmm. What if I just tried some Adderall? Uh, I think you should know. No, I definitely. Yeah. I'm not. I'm definitely would not. I, <laughs> I I know I would not do that. I don't know. I, yeah, I have no idea what like. I don't even know what you think, but yeah, just your personality. I think you're good. I yeah, think I'm good. I think you're all set. I think I'm good. Um. So can we talk a little bit about? So early on, you were you were put on Respiridol. Yes. Was this were you put on Respiridol as a treatment as an off-label treatment for OCD? I was put on Respiridol as an off-label treatment. What exactly it was for is kind of unclear to me. It's not I believe that OCD is not even as an off-label it's not one of the things. And just for anybody who's who's listening who's never heard of it, Respiridol is a very serious antipsychotic. Um and I was put on it as a 15-year-old, which is wildly irresponsible to not, to use as anything other than a last resort and that's not a controversial statement um i'm still i still have no idea like this was a different psychiatrist not dr berger different person um who i have thought about going back and being like why why it's generally like it's generally it's an anti-psychotic i had zero symptoms that were anything like close to psychosis like absolutely nothing um, sometimes it's used for kids with like extreme rage problems. I had nothing like that. Like yeah. I was a very well-behaved, pretty like stubborn, like I am now, but very well-behaved, pliant child who wore, you know, hair ribbons and like did homework on the weekends. Like, and like, yeah, never like not, it's a very, it's still to this day, very strange to me. And I don't know why they put me on Respiridol? That woman put me on Respiridol? Um, yeah, Respiridol is a pretty strong medication. I'd been on it. I've been on it for a brief period of time. I really didn't like the way that it was making me feel, so I just did not keep taking it. And I told my psychiatrist I didn't want to take it. We tried something else. 
Um, but for some people in certain instances, like if somebody is acutely manic or acutely psychotic, it, it can have a positive effect in Uh, in kind of like keeping somebody from being manic. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I I don't mean to say it like it's a bad, but I don't care for it. um, (laughs) It's definitely, it's, it's drug, especially on children. It is not a first line of defense kind of drug. Yeah. It is like, it is a thing. It's a, if you, some kids do need it and it can make a huge difference for them, but it is not the first thing you try. And it's definitely not the first thing you try with, a kid who is like doing well at school and has friends and has like m- their major issues are yeah are like so this was given to you very early on yeah um and I was on it for a, quite a while well not quite a while I guess um months but less than a year I think less than a year um and luckily well this is also the other thing it ha- it can have a lot of different types of side effects one of the side effects which it didn't have on me is it can I I didn't learn this till later. My psychiatrist told me about none of them, which is wildly irresponsible. Yeah. Um, but respiratory can cause, especially in children, maybe also in adults, can cause like huge weight gain, and not like ten, twenty pounds weight gain. Like, can cause someone who's like a very like a lower weight to be like to become like obese in a sp- in a span of like a couple months. Doesn't always happen. Didn't yeah. happen to me. But um, but one of the other things it can do is um. It can cause tremors and shakiness, which is not uncommon, but um, the, that did happen with me. And at the time, I was very gung-ho about taking it because I, after going off it, I realized that that really wasn't doing anything for me. It was really the fact that I was on a large dose of Prozac and also that I was on ADHD meds for the first time. But at the time, I was just like very happy to that I was like on something that's a combination of things that seemed to be working, and I was reluctant to go off it my mom really wanted me to and I was reluctant because my mom is, she's not against medication at all but she's definitely like like much she's she was she's like she is fine with me being on medication it, I think it is her preference that I wouldn't be on medication for the rest of my life whereas I am like I think that is fine yeah she's not she didn't like stop me from getting care or anything like that but she but she her inclination is definitely like a more Every, natural everything, approach. Yeah, exactly. Everything you possibly can do without medicine Medication and Western, and Western like medicine is, is ideal. She's not like against Western medicine, but okay, she's, more not, of, she's not pro it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. More of a last line of defense. So I was kind of, I was kind of suspect when she wanted me to go off it because I was like, this is just you not liking, you know, yeah, yeah, not yeah. liking this kind of medicine. But at the time, I, I actually was still one of the things I was considering that I really wanted to do with my life was be a surgeon. And it was starting to cause some hand tremors. So I that was the reason I went off of it. I'm really glad I did because there are all kinds of effects that like now we don't even that that I had no idea about. But I'm really glad that that, that was the sole reason. I was just like, I know the longer I'm on this, the more likely it'll, that'll happen. And you yeah. can't have that as a, if you want to be a surgeon. So that was the impetus for going off. Yeah. Of that. So I was like, I, I, I want, might want to be a surgeon someday. I don't want to take this anymore. And they were like, OK. Wasn't there another issue? Yes. Okay. So that, but that, but that was not the reason. So the other thing, Risperol, a side effect Risperol has is in boys, it can cause, or I think this is, I assume it's true in adult men too, but in boys, it can cause them to grow breasts. I think it's more for an adolescent than yeah, it, than that it makes, does for that adults. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. for girls, it can cause you to lactate, which it did. But I was 15 and did not. 
I don't know how I didn't like figure out that that's what was happening. But also just like if you're 15 and no one told you that that could happen. And it wasn't like it was a very small amount. Like it wasn't like I know that like when people are actually breastfeeding, like sometimes I think like you have to wear bras and like sometimes your bras will get wet. Like nothing like that never happened. But it was still it was just more of a thing of like that's weird. And then, you know, you're 50, I was just 15 and I was like, that's weird. That's embarrassing. I'm not going to, I have, I had no idea why that was happening. I was like, yeah. maybe this is like a thing that happens that I don't know about. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't like, it didn't cause a problem for me really. So I was just like, okay. And now in retrospect, I'm like, one, insane that my psychiatrist would not have told me that was a possibility and did not ask about it. Wildly irresponsible to put yeah. a child on a drug like that. Two, adorable but so annoyed with myself that i was like embarrassed of that and just like that's so upsetting to think of that like i would keep like i would not say something like that to a psychiatrist at the time i'm like that's a really big problem yeah if you are listening to this if you start spontaneously lactating when you have never had sex or kissed a boy and are 15 tell your psychiatrist yeah yeah that's wild yeah so that is that is a bizarre side effect yeah uh, and, and it was a known side effect, which yeah. she did not tell me of. Yeah. And for for adolescent boys on Respiridol, there is a lot of instances of them developing breasts. Yeah. And it's like not reversible sometimes without surgery. Yeah. And there's actually a class action lawsuit uh, about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And it's not like just like, you know, obviously some, especially during puberty, sometimes some boys have some breast tissue. Like this is not that. It is like yeah, they grow like it's they grow breasts like a, a teenage girl. Um, and it's not reversible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, most of, I think yeah they definitely have to go through surgery. Yeah, it's like that American Dad episode. Oh yeah, wait, wait, remind me. There's just I can't even remember the context, but in one episode, Steve grows boobs. Oh really? Yeah, and then he and Stan do a car wash. <laughs> oh really? I don't think he has to have surgery though. I can't remember what caused it. Some CIA drug. Some CIA, some CIA thing. Um, cool. So these days, it seems like, do you feel like you have your OCD and ADHD pretty under control? Definitely, like, much more than, yes. I, I would say, yeah, I've had, usually only during times of high stress does it become an issue. Like, it's also, it's it's part of, well, yeah, I'm in part of my day-to-day life, so it's, it's hard to imagine, like, you know this, and I'm, everybody knows this. It's, like, one of those things where you've never not, experience i mean actually i guess that's i guess that depends because like maybe not like if i maybe i guess you like if you wouldn't you wouldn't didn't maybe didn't have manic episodes when you were a small child do you like remember do you like remember kind of a distinct difference in your life of like when you didn't have manic episodes and when you started having them or is it kind of all feel like one well i have Thank goodness, you know, relatively long periods of time in between episodes right. and potentially uh, a very long time between episodes. Um, right. So I feel n- I feel like my normal self in between. So I, it's not like I'm constantly dealing with being right. in a manic episode. It's not a constant presence. Yeah, it's not a constant presence. But I do know I have to be very vigilant and constant on staying on top of my mental health routine. Right. You know, which yeah. I do. That, that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess my experience is really, is really different in that it's definitely much better. And I think very manageable, but 
also it's like I like to say like I know a lot of people many people will as soon as they hear that I have OCD they'll be like I think I have that and I'll be like okay why do you think that and I have if you think you have OCD like ask a therapist ask a psychiatrist I'm not discouraging you but maybe don't describe your symptoms to a person who actually has OCD because I will say 98 99% of the time I'm like okay what you are describing is the fact that you have a favorite color yeah like yeah, yeah, like yeah. that is they're like I like it when things are in rainbow order and I <laughs> only and like I am so anal about filing and I'm like okay everyone has some symptoms of OCD that's when it becomes an, a mental illness is when it interferes with your daily life and your ability to function. Exactly. Like that it does. It, and it's very similar with ADHD. There's, I mean, I don't think there's anybody like, if you just looked at the symptoms of ADHD, it's like, have you ever met anyone who didn't have sometimes have trouble focusing who didn't like, who didn't forget deadlines? Like the difference is whether this is impeding your ability to function in a, in a, at, like, in society in at a normal level so with ocd sometimes there's some there's stuff where i'm like i think it's definitely it's at a point where it's very manageable for me and then also i don't always know like what is necessarily ocd versus just all people do have anxieties and um but, but uh long answer to a short question but um yes i definitely i'm really pleased with where i am with that I'm very lucky. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I also I feel very lucky. I've been through so much stuff and I feel like finally I have a real shot at staying well for the long term. Yeah, uh, that's which awesome. Is, it's amazing. Which would be great. And I'm so optimistic about what that can mean for my life moving forward. Um, you know, so yeah, that's amazing. That's it so feels cool. good. And I f and I do feel this need to kind of I do feel a need to talk about mental health issues uh, and I do feel a need to I don't know make make all of this shit that I've been through mean something yeah no no I agree you know? um, I agree I mean just in general the way that this is the least original take ever but the way that we handle mental health is very bad um, yeah very bad I think the way that we handle mental health especially with with teenagers and with kids is terrifying and so bad. Um, so, so, so bad. Um, I think it's like all hands on deck for like get help wherever you can. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like our, our healthcare system is so messed up and so broken. Um, there's so, so many things in our lives. Our lives are structured in such a way that it's really not conducive to mental wellness. Yeah. For that sure. I think, and I think now with, uh, with screen addiction and social media addiction, everything like that, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Uh, attention spans are just completely shot. And it's, and, and still, and, and there still is stigma. You know, there still is a lot of stigma. I feel like younger kids are less, or are, are, have overcome a lot of stigma. And I'm kind of impressed with that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think that the more people talking about mental health, the more, more people, uh, just engaging in these issues and just just talking about their experiences, the better. Yeah, I agree. I, I also think I think like we have made progress in in some ways or like younger people, but there is still a um, I think there's still that kind of line that kids 
have of it's okay to have this much mental illness and then if you cross this threshold then you're crazy and there's there's a fear around that which makes sense everybody is kind of afraid of like it's okay to feel depressed but is it it but you know as a teenager it's like depression is normal but is it okay to talk about like having suicidal thoughts when you're a teenager that that might be like a line that kids are like well it's yeah. okay to be this but not that yeah and it's also i think different Which, it's not good obviously but but i think it's yeah i think the line has moved as to as to how much we talk about but but there's still kind of a line there i agree i think for example you people we can talk about talk about depression to an extent you can talk about bipolar disorder that's becoming right. le- a little less stigmatized but once you cross the threshold into talking about schizophrenia, that right, still scares like, the shit out of people. Exactly, yeah. Um, which I think is really unfair. And I think part of it has to just do with how scary that word sounds. Yeah, that's true. It's just an absurd sounding word. And personality disorders, I think. Personality disorders, too. Like borderline personality disorders yeah. is very misunderstood. There's actually a lot of talk in like in like newer kind of articles and pieces I'll read that they're thinking about. Uh, changing the names of, of, of personality disorders and stuff. They like really that. should do that. They sound really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, borderline. Yeah, I mean, narcissistic personality disorder, which I know that those are that it, the people who have that diagnosis do tend to be hard to like. But also, I mean, you're really not giving them a fair shot with that name. Yeah, yeah. I'm not defending narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, but also like it's what that one's a weird one to me because everyone I've talked to who's experienced it and like their trauma especially people who've been kids of, of people who are have narcissistic personality disorder like i do not want to discount their trauma because it is real and dramatic and awful yeah but on the other hand i'm not on the other hand just and if it is a mental illness if we are calling it that which i think everyone still agrees we are then they still deserve treatment even if they have inflicted trauma right i mean and some people are just, I, I, I'm, and again, I, I do not put forth judgment on this because I've never, to my knowledge, interacted with anyone and had, or at least had a close relationship with anyone with that. And the people I know who have are, uh, underwent real trauma and undamage. And yeah, I, I can't speak to what it's like to go undergo that or, but, um, that one in particular, there's, is one where I have people who have been victims of people like that are often. I've been like, well, what would you have them do? Like, like be exiled or die. And some of them are kind of like, uh, I didn't say it, but you did. Well, unfortunately with people that have narcissistic personality disorder, treatment is very, very challenging and they really right. have to be willing to do it. And oftentimes right. they're and just, that's, that's kind not. of at odds with I don't know. I do not know a lot about it, but to my understanding, that's kind of at odds in some ways with a lot of the symptoms. Borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder have a lot of overlap. Right. You know, um, somebody can be borderline with narcissistic doesn't necessarily have to, but the, the thing is, it's like there is treatment for, at least for borderline personality disorder. There is, there is a, there is treatment. I, I know somebody that has borderline personality disorder that she's very vigilant about staying on top of it and she's functioning and she's doing fine. Yeah. You know, but this narcissistic personality thing, it is those people can be so manipulative with folks right. that they really can cause a lot of trauma for other people. And it's very, very hard 
for someone to separate from someone that has this narcissistic personality disorder. Right. And often I think it's one of those that's very often inherited and also groomed. Like I remember reading at least about this that often if a narcissistic parent will have like a child that is their kind of golden child who they groom and then a scapegoat child or scapegoat children. So oh, like wow. sometimes that the disorder itself is like tied into trauma that the person like it's very hard to yeah it's uh, tough it's like you want to have sympathy for these people because they are experiencing a mental illness and at the same time their actions are really hurting a lot of people so it's hard to i mean i think about it it's like if there's been things that i've done that i'm not proud of and of people i've hurt when i've been manic i mean people can understand that i have i'm experiencing a manic episode that i'm this is not the normal person that i am but still if someone is like receiving that bad behavior Right. I can understand it being tough forgiveness to come slowly. And I, I think also, at least again, this is from my extremely limited experience with it, that often the thing about people with MPD is that they do not express remorse after. People with what? With narcissistic personality disorder is that they do not uh, express remorse, or yeah. at least genuine remorse. So it's not it's not so much like a manic episode where you do things and then kind of later you're able to be like, I really regret this. It's people who kind of operate continuously in in a mindset where the things that they're doing are they feel are justified yeah and it's also scary that sometimes people like that really thrive in our society i know right where you're just like huh he's doing well <laughs> huh yeah. his his uh his psychological uh make out uh makeup uh works very conducive with our system yeah in in that yeah yeah super weird um but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's important for us to talk about these issues. I think it's important for us to try not to stigmatize even some of the mental health issues that we feel less comfortable with. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's important also to not just to joke about them in that 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 makes them more comfortable, but also just to acknowledge that. I mean, you know, I do a lot of my my stand up is about like death. I think there it's like all serious and difficult and tragic things, it is legitimately very funny. And the fact, and it's in a system that's so arcane and messed up that it creates farcical comedy that is, is okay. And I think helpful to just acknowledge like, this is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And it's, it really is. There's something helpful, super helpful about laughing at it all. Yeah. Like Uh, you tell, you tell like stories about very serious to, like moments where I'm but that and also are able to be like, but how fucking funny was that? Yeah. To me, being able to talk about my experiences with bipolar disorder in a funny way through stand up is such a like. It's such a silver lining for me because I can express these. Th- it's like it's like, OK, I went People through who this. People aren't traumatized aren't interesting. We all know that. There you go. It, I mean, you don't need to be fucked up to be good at stand up, but it certainly helps. It certainly helps that or. Maybe like have done a sport really well or been in the military. I don't know. Have have some interesting experience. Something. You know <laughs> what I mean? Otherwise, what are we doing? I don't know here? why sport is the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know. Did that great, wasn't a good call. That was great. Athletes translate into no, great stand-up. No, actually, not. I don't know where that came from. No, do not plant the seed of having athletes That's, becoming I, that was stand-ups. A mistake. We don't I take need it back. that. We've already got enough actors trying to do it. Oh, God, that's true. Um, we should be nicer to them. Yeah. One of them's going to be famous someday. 
Yeah, but uh, the uh, the thing is, I yeah, it's very cathartic for me to be able to make stand up out of these experiences, you know, yeah. and just to, to kind of have some narrative distance from it all, realize how ridiculous it is, and then kind of filter that through stand up is yeah. like, I think it's I think it's interesting and fun. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, not all of my stand ups about it, but a good amount is lately. And that's and that's what's yeah, working. And for it's me. great. Go watch him. He's on. He's on the internet. Oh yeah, I did forget to let people know about my stand-up special, but we could do that. Um, do you have? Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Um, this isn't funny, but it's just a thing that I think is important. Um, one of the, I think, I mean, there are a lot of people who are correctly for many reasons really upset about you know, the at Mayor at Eric Adams's plan of of putting people in hospitals forcibly who are not posing an immediate threat yeah. to themselves or others. Um, so I think that that is already pretty well covered. Most people pretty much understand that. Um, I do find it interesting how I think there's been really good com- like commentary. I don't have a ton to add. The only thing I will say is it is effectively jail. And that is, it's weird that like it is effectively taking away like the most basic constitutional rights uh, um and i do believe that involuntary hospitalization is sometimes necessary but i think we have lost touch with how sacred a duty it is to make that decision i think it's about the closest thing you can do to like taking someone's life is to take that right i think it has it is necessary very occasionally but like it should be handled with a level of importance that it's really not like yeah yeah um i agree yeah yeah no there's really it's not a lot to add there that's just been so it's been troubling me that or just interesting to me that a lot of the commentary i've seen is very good and is really accurate about in the ways that it's racist and the ways that it can cause escalation and the ways that it's a waste of resources and and all of that um but i was surprised that people didn't kind of see it from more of a if we allow police to involuntarily detain people on a basis of something that intangible and we're using police to do that, like that is uh, kind of crossing the line between <laughs> just like a problematic way of taking care of mental health in a, a police state, like not to get, yeah, not to be like to way overshoot it. But um, I'm not sure people are totally conscious of what that means just in a society when you can, involuntarily detain people Um, yeah it's a lot easier for as we've like with many journalists have have shown and done research for it's a lot easier for people who have um you do not who do not need to be um involuntarily detained to end up in a system and not be able to get out there are like there are journalists who've gone you know famously journalists who've gone undercover and yeah and shown that um yeah i think people are i don't i think of it as a very abstract idea and uh this is me saying that you don't, you don't know. Like you could look really crazy on w- your worst day of your life, and you could go to infinite jail because Eric Adams says he wanted you to. It is closer than you think, so be afraid. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, you know what it is. It's there. Sometimes there's no good solutions. To- totally, and I I, ha- I do not. To be clear, I have no solution to the housing crisis. That yeah. is be- that is. I'm not offering a better one. Uh, yeah. Um, it's it's a tricky thing because I, I know that at times I don't think people should be 
uh, should be involuntarily detained uh, in arbitrarily, and they're just being a sort of wide. Like yeah, a, it shouldn't be a housing solution. Yeah, it certainly shouldn't be. It a should be a medical solution. emergency. It should be, a, it should be under medical emergencies only. Yeah. Um, because there, trust me, there's times where it would have been beneficial for me to get hospitalized sooner than I did. Totally. And there really wasn't a mechanism in place to make that happen. Totally. But that I, doesn't mean that people should just be able to be pulled up off the streets and just involuntarily detained like very easily. Totally. You know? and, 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 you know, by police, especially. Is yeah. The, yeah. Um, one of the biggest issues with it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, cool. So you're doing well with your OCD and your ADHD. Yep. You're liking your job. You're doing stand up. You're doing your thing. You're in a pretty good place these days. Yeah. Not to brag. That sounds good. That's yeah. good. You deserve it. That's good. Yeah. Um, can you let folks know how they can connect with you or see any of your work? Yeah, totally. Um, my Instagram is at Juliana Maher. Juliana with two N's and Maher is M-A-H-E-R. Uh, my Twitter is the same. I'm rarely on there, but occasionally I retweet good things. And I've, I've got stand-up online, YouTube. Look me up on IMDb to see a lot of shows I have helped assist with. Yeah, very cool. Um, so, yeah. And, and watch The Diplomat when it comes out. I think it's the spring. But yeah, definitely check out the diplomat. And what's it about, though? Um, it's about it's it's a lot like it's uh, kind of similar to the West Wing, um, in the diplomacy world. Uh, uh, it's Carrie Russell is the main main character. It's very very cool, um, amazing cast. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, um, psychos, just to uh, reiterate. If you want, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash JFOD. Uh, the newsletter is jfodnews.com. You can follow me on social media at jfodlovesyou. And um, I forgot to say this up front, but uh, my stand-up special Hell yeah. is on YouTube. It's called The Manic Depressive Chocolate Fountain Operator. <laughs> and it would be awesome if you uh, if you watched that and left a nice comment and a like. Um, I always like... Uh, Seeing those, I appreciate that. And yeah, um, Juliana, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this has been another episode of Take Your Pill Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. I've been your host, John F. O'Donnell, here with Juliana Mayer. Thanks again. Thanks, John. And all you psychos have a, a wonderful day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>